Man, I'm hungry. All this chicken stuff going around. I don't know if I want some of that, though. I'm call my homeboy at Beyond Meat and see if we can put something together. I got a cool little idea right here. Let's see if he can make this thing happen. Hey, there. How you doing? What up, dog? What's going on? I'm chilling, man. So, look, I'm sitting here uh, caught up in the mess of all of this chicken stuff going on, and I came up with an idea that I think you could possibly help us put together, man. Some plant-based chicken, right? But do it with the originator, the OG, with Colonel Sandal. Can you put that together? You're asking how to do it. It's going to be great. Put something together. Bring, bring it over here. Let me sample it so I can go on Instagram and let everybody know how good it is. Let's see if this thing is finger-licking good. Thanks to the Colonel. That was Snoop Dogg, claiming he invented the new plant-based chicken nuggets at KFC. Recently... KFC in the UK also released a plant-based chicken replacement. They call it the Imposter Burger. Not to be left out, Burger King have just released the Impossible Whopper. A Whopper with a plant-based burger patty that bleeds heme like a beef burger. Subway are also introducing a plant-based alternative to the meatball sub. And a Porto in Australia is trialling a vegan burger. What's behind all these new products? Is veganism driving capitalism, or is capitalism driving veganism? On today's show, we explore these issues and ask the question, can capitalism drive social change? Okay, so Alex has become a vegan recently, and he's been riding his high horse around the office. Insert Ace Ventura laugh there. <laughs> so, tell, about, tell us why you've become a vegan, Alex. What were the reasons? Uh, that, there was many reasons. There was many reasons. But um, I think part of, of the reasons were, you know, I really love the taste of meat. I really love the taste of burgers and things. And I remember having a conversation with you where I said, if plant-based meat products and replacement kind of plant-based products that replace meat products came out and were cheaper and tasted just as good, I'd run out of excuses. So you've run out of excuses? Yeah, I ran out of excuses, Nothing's, ho- nothing's holding you back to be a more ethical person? Nothing at all now. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought like it might be interesting if that's happened to me to see if that's happened to other people. And um, I kind of wanted to explore this issue of like capitalism's role in creating social change in movements like this. Yeah, that's interesting. Vegan vigilantes chained to the court. This is the fastest growing movement of justice on earth. Farmers are fuming, animal calling for animal rights. Animal rights activists, War against I've a problem vegans. with vegans running into, into steakhouses and screaming at people and paying noise. I love a vegan sausage roll, but veggie sausages and bean burgers could soon See what disappear. happened? And she said, look at it, it looks like dark, tastes like dark. I make all the things that butchers make, but I make them with Australia no Australia is the third fastest growing vegan market in the world. Love it or loathe it, veganism is on the rise. Veganism has been a hot topic this year. From April, when vegan protesters shut down Melbourne streets and stormed Victorian farms, to the Australian government recently proposing new laws to fight vegan activists. If we look at things like Google Trends, we can see that the word veganism has never before been more searched. This has been accompanied by a 30% increase in plant-based meat sales this year alone. Stocks in Beyond Meat, a plant-based meat supplier, have grown 163% since January. In the 2017 to 2018 financial year, 
US dairy lost $1.1 billion. An Australian dairy is calling for milk to be reintroduced to schools in an effort to use Australian tax dollars to save the industry. Is this the beginning of the end for the animal industries? Is this what a vegan revolution looks like? A capitalist revolution? I spoke with Brooklyn Dani. Brooklyn is a Master of Research student at Western Sydney University. She's studying Sydney vegan culture. She was telling me about the history of veganism in Australia. And in 1970, the Vegan Society formed in Australia. I was wondering, why is it so late? And then I learned because Australia is mostly and largely a meat-eating culture. Brooke then explained that the meat industry in Australia was absolutely massive. The Ibis World Industry Reports, the Australian industry of beef cattle feedlots, they generated 4.6 billion in revenue, and from this, they made 509.8 million. In the meat processing industry in Australia, they made 20.5 billion currently, and that from this, from, they made a profit of 2 billion. These massive profits stand in stark contrast to the vegan food industry. They made 657 million, and from this, they only made 32.9 million. While I was quite optimistic about the ability of these vegan food options to help make it easier for people to choose veganism, Brooke was less so optimistic. She sees it as a big challenge and something that's going to happen over a long period of time. You know, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen overnight, maybe over yeah. a period of time, but it's not going to be like an off-on switch sort of thing. It's not going to be a David and Goliath battle. Brooke also thinks that there's other ways to change people's minds long term. You think of all the changes that have happened in the past and what, what it took for change. And it took conversations, it took networking, it took friends, it took friendships, it took discourses, it took um, engagement, community engagement, it took conversations, it took activism, it took protests, it took right up to Parliament House to get change. So it's not impossible, but it's not going to happen overnight. Mm. That's the thing. These things aren't going to be instantaneous. Brooke noted another problem. The Australian food market is much smaller than markets in Europe and the United States. Well, America and Europe you know, they're huge population numbers of people and they've got a vast, huge, um, what do you call it? Um, they're, 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 um, the money they've got there is, is huge. And Australia's just a baby. Brooke went on to explain that in some parts of Europe, they eat a lot of corn. That's spelled Q-U-O-R-N. Corn is a meat replacement product. It's also available in Australia. Europe, they, like in, in some parts of Europe, meat is just so expensive. They have to eat meat substitutes. Like I know in, in Denmark and Germany and um, Holland, they eat corn, which is a meat substitute. It's like it's like it's made from a fungus. Mm. And they, they mostly eat that. And in the supermarkets, it's all corn this, corn that, corn that. That's why in Europe, like they can embrace veganism large scale. They just they just learn, they just jump in, they're just all in there. Brooke thinks there's some lessons that we can learn from European culture. What we can learn is from from countries and communities that have used meat-based, I mean, vegan-based product, and it's widely used, meat substitutes are widely used, and trying to get into that mentality and, and how that happened over there. Because like in Australia, they, they're prepared to pay the more money for the meat, so is Japan and, 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 and the USA to buy more, pay more money for the meat and the milk. But how did they do it in Europe? How did it get so widely embraced? What was the mentality there? How did they win them over with corn? Brooke also told me about another technology, 
clean meats. So these are meats where a sample of tissue is taken from an animal and the cells from that tissue specimen are cultured in a laboratory. The cells are cultured until enough meat is produced that they can actually produce a product that they then sell to market. So far, clean meats exist for things like beef, chicken, and even things like kangaroo. And they've just come out with this and that they said that um, in, in about 10 years from now, it will be available in supermarkets. It'll be a little bit pricey, but it will be quality sort of free, but there is exploitation. They're taking a sample of a microscopic um, cells from the animal and plant and growing it in a lab-grown petri dish. Although these new products are coming out, Brooke is still less optimistic about how fast this change can happen, particularly with Australia's ingrained meat-eating culture. With veganism versus meat-eating culture, I mean, well, you've got to accept that this meat-eating culture has been imprinted into if on Australia for a long time. It's not something you can just switch off. It will be a process to get people to change. But Brooke thinks there is hope. And so, so you know, these sort of things, this cause and effect, this dynamic of cause and effect and, 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 and this desire for utopia or a perfect world or a perfect system that doesn't exist right now or you want it to get close to it this sort of thing you know it's not impossible brooke also thinks that health issues may come into play here well people are eating more vegan foods they're omnivorous or they're meat eaters but they're throwing in you know some vegan patties they're eating more vegetables because there's a health there's a health element there people got health issues they're overweight now they're not doing enough exercise they're in front of screens so because of that awareness, it's driven more people to incorporate a more healthier diet, which incorporates plant-based, a lot of plant-based. So it's not impossible. It's not impossible. And like, mm. There's always going to be people that are going to feel for animals. Mm. You know, human nature now is much more better, more compassionate towards animals. So people are going to um, have some empathy for the animals. So I think there is an argument there because we're all changing as people. We're being more, more um, engaging with our animals, our pets, and I think that's going to extend it into what we eat too. Brooke is hopeful for a vegan future, but she does have concerns about the effect on the Australian economy. The thing is, is that we want to do it in a way that's going to support the Australian economy. Because mm. we're in a GFC right now. What looks good is dollars. Mm. Speaking about dollars, it's time we took a short break. After that break, I'm going to talk to some students from Western Sydney about their food choices. Hey, did you know that Blabcoats are self-funded? We're a group of university students doing this as a passion project. You can help support us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, or by purchasing merchandise. We have some really cool designs on mugs, shirts, hoodies, phone cases, and more. And all that money you put in goes back into producing more content like the episode you're listening to. Uh, my name is Patrick and I'm studying engineering. Tell us what you're eating for lunch today, Patrick. Eating Subway. Awesome. What type of sub did you go for? Uh, teriyaki chicken footlong. So that has chicken from it, right? An animal product? Yeah. Um, hypothetically, if there was a plant-based alternative to that chicken that cost the same um, and tasted the same, would you still buy the chicken or would you go for the plant-based alternative? If it tasted the same, I'd get the uh, plant-based one. Awesome. But why would you go for a plant-based alternative over chicken um, if cost and taste were eliminated as factors? Uh, I guess I feel bad about the chicken getting killed for nothing if, it's, uh, if I can get the same taste and same price for something else that is plant-based, you know? So I'm Candice Gardner and I'm studying to be a high school teacher, so at the moment I'm doing my bachelor's on the way to Masters of Teaching. 
Oh yeah, so I just got it from our Japanese restaurant. It's just their um, lunch special, which is $10, and it's just fried chicken with soy and garlic, um, rice and salad. If there was a plant-based alternative to that chicken that cost the same and tasted the same, would you go for the plant-based alternative or would you still go for the chicken? I would probably go for the plant-based alternative because I have eaten it in the past. In Melbourne, there's quite a few restaurants that offer that and I have eaten there. What makes you go for the plant-based option? Um, obviously, uh, for the animal welfare and stuff like that because obviously these restaurants, they don't really explain where it's from. But also, yeah, just um, for the future, like obviously we're looking into new farming techniques and stuff like that. And so, yeah, that's also one of the reasons. It sounds like you're saying um, that if you have more access to these types of products that you would probably choose them over something that came from an animal. Yeah, that's correct. I would prefer to go for that option if it was available more worldwide and locally as well. My name is Sam. I'm studying the Master of Teaching Secondary School. I'm eating sushi, Japanese sushi. And sushi can be made out of lots of things. Your sushi's got some fish on it? Yeah, it has the, uh, sal- uh, the salmon fish and uh, seafood and um, the uh, avocado. Would you still eat fish or would you go for that plant-based alternative? Of course, I can go for the uh, ve- vegetarian one. Um, the plant, you mean vegetarian. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, but very hard to find this sort of uh, food in, like, in the shopping, and in the food court, you know. Yeah, yeah, very hard to find, honestly. Why would you go for the plant-based alternative over the fish if it was more available? Uh, because it's, uh, I, at the moment I, 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 I am on high cholesterol and uh, high blood pressure too. The, my doctor recommended me to eat the, um, the healthy food, like try to eat not eat beef or pork, but fish is okay, like low cholesterol. And the best one is the um, the the fruit salad or the vegetable. Uh, what's your name, sorry? Shakira. Shakira, thank you. So um, why don't you tell us what you're eating for lunch today? I'm having Portuguese chicken and Caesar salad with avocado. If there was an alternative to chicken that tasted just as good and cost the same amount to buy, um, but it was actually made of plants, would you go for the plant-based alternative or still buy chicken? I'd still go for chicken. Yeah. Why, why is that? Uh, it's a meat that I enjoy. But if we... So you enjoy the taste of it, is it? Um, there are some foods which I feel I can have provision to, so, yeah. So um, if it tasted the same and it cost the same, that wouldn't kind of sway your mind? You would still go for the chicken? I mean, I'd try it, and if it was the same, then either or, yeah, it, it wouldn't be an issue, but I'm okay with eating chicken as it is. Uh, My name is Alora and I am studying a double degree. I'm doing a Bachelor of International Studies and Social Science. It's such a mouthful. (laughs) I noticed you've got a coffee there. Um, Did it have cow's milk in it? Uh, No, I get almond milk. Uh, Interesting. Why do you go for almond milk over cow's milk? Oh, I recently read like a lot of things on Twitter about like the, what do you call it? Just the, I forgot what it's called. Just like the the cow industry, basically, and um, uh, cowspiracy. If you guys have heard of that, it it will ruin like your your appetite, and you'll stop eating meat for a while as well as drinking milk. But that's how it kind of switched my attitude on drinking milk. And what I learned was cow, cow milk isn't actually good for you. Oh, especially if you 
drink it every single day. So um, yeah, do your study. Like it's knowledge is good. <laughs> was having the availability of different types of milks like almond milk, did that like make that change from not drinking dairy easier for you? Uh, yes, because not everywhere has it and you always have to pay more, which I don't really feel bad about, but it, the availability is definitely not as accessible compared to just dairy milk. And if, if you think if it was more available, more people would make that change? Um, I do think it has to be a conscious decision and I do think it has to come from, um, I guess, people have to have their own reasons and like why they would want to make that choice. So I think it wouldn't be like a trend just because someone's drinking almond milk or, or a different, something that's not dairy milk. But if, um, yeah, if people started drinking almond milk, I just hope it's because it's, they have the right intentions too. It looks like people are open to changing their food choices, but it seems like those choices depend on the availability of these products how much they cost, and how much they taste like the real deal. I wanted to further explore the role of grassroots activism and how social change occurs. For that, I spoke with Dr. Holly K. Smith. Holly's a social change activist and producer of a whole lot of content. She did her PhD in human-based solutions to conservation problems. She also runs Dr. Holly. You can find Dr. Holly on Facebook and Instagram. I suggest checking her out, she's awesome. Holly told me that sometimes for immediate results, you have to work within a system to try and change it. One thing that I um, you know, have learned when I was doing my PhD, the, the reality is that in most cases, you have to work with systems to change them. Um, so if, if for immediate results, we, we do vote with our dollar. Holly also explained that change needs to feel easy. And that's what these vegan products do. They make it easier for people to make those choices. Change needs to look and feel easy. And, um, and what people want to, you want to make people feel like they want to be a part of the community. This all sounds great, but Holly also presented an issue. People sometimes feel threatened by veganism. She told me a funny story about a friend of hers not wanting to try tofu. You know, they don't even want to try tofu. My, I had a friend who like, would not have a bite of my tofu. And I was like, <laughs> because they thought, you know, it was emasculating. And I was like, wow, this is a, a problem that needs to be tackled. Veganism can be a confronting issue. People feel attacked when you question their food choices. And I think that veganism is something where people can feel like if you feel bad instantly if someone else is eating meat, and then that's where those arguments come. And I'm sure you've come up with this. I was a vegetarian um, for many years, for nearly a decade. Um, and, and I would feel people would really want to aggressively disagree with me and prove to me that it was wrong. And, and I think it's a good thing to bring up in this conversation because it's like knowing that I, I feel as though people do that because it feels like their entity and them as a person um, are threatened by that. Although Holly thinks that using the capitalist system to promote veganism can work in the short term, she also thinks that long-term, capitalism's actually part of the problem. We are built on a cap capitalist economy um, that, focus on, that focuses on production and creating more to advance. That's how the whole global system is made in that way. And that's unfortunate for our planet because, you know, with the population that we're at and the way that we use natural resources and things like that, this whole economy that we're built on is what's destroying our planet. Holly thinks that long term, we actually need to address the way our economy is structured. We can change 
the, our economy and things, and rather than building it on on the idea that more is better, we need to build it on the idea that making things better is better. Holly points out that this need for continual growth is actually what leads to animal abuse in the first place. Because also that's where the torturous um, nature of the way that we produce our food has come from, because it's been mass produced and industrialized. And then, you know, we're doing, having three chickens in that tiny little pen. And, and I, I've rescued these chickens. Um, you know, cut the top of the beak off, three of them are squished into a little pen the size of an A4 paper and they have to cut off the top of their beaks so they don't pick each other's eyes out. Like, and this is all built on that capitalist economy. But Holly does think that our money can create short-term change. The, we can use our dollars to change the systems and we can show what we want um, to happen by voting with your dollars um, and, and it does create change. But for long-term change, there's still a place for grassroots activism. There is definitely still a role for grassroots activism. Um, and when we're thinking about things like government re like re regulation and things like that, like the grassroots change, the ground up strategies where it's people power and communities, it's slower, it takes bigger, it's, it, it takes time to build, but that's where we will see the, the long-term um, change where we will shift and overturn these standing systems and these conversations challenging consumer norms that dictate the way we do things is what's going to create the change. At the end of the day Holly is more concerned with what results from people's actions not why they take those actions. Someone might choose a plant-based option at Hungry Jack's and they may do that for health reasons, the environment, animal welfare or simply because they want to try something new. Either way, Holly thinks the change is positive. If you look at the result, like if it results in more ethically produced meat or lower carbon emissions or less resources used, like then it's positive. Mm. I don't care if someone's doing it for health. I don't care if they're doing it for animal welfare. I think if you look at the actual results of whatever is happening with that change and the results are positive, then, then it's positive. So the vegans may not be taking over, but where we spend our money does matter. Long term, both Brooklyn and Holly think we need to change our values. But short term, they both feel that working within the system we have is essential for progress. If you want to lobby someone to bring a plant-based option to Australia, I have attached a letter to the description of this episode. So remember what Snoop Dogg says. Mm, don't be last, be first. <laughs> Tell him Snoop Dogg sent you. Blabcoats was created by Hamid Siddiqui and Alex Ray. The Blabcoats team includes Hamid Siddiqui, Alex Ray, Marina Khan, Yingwa Hu, Michael Horgan, Tay McKnight, Andrew Martin. The episode was produced by Alex Ray and the credits are being read by me, Mardine. Special thanks to Brooklyn Dani and Dr. Holly K. Smith. Make sure you check out Dr. Holly on Facebook and Instagram. You can support Blabcoats by a donation through Patreon, by buying some of our merch or by reviewing or sharing this episode with a friend. If you haven't already, like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube.